0: Before we get started, we wanted to read a quick disclaimer. First and foremost, this is a true crime slash comedy podcast. we are a couple of guys that like to laugh and And make jokes. We also understand that these topics are grim. We want to bring to life these real life situations so that you, the listener, can be more aware of your surroundings and hopefully laugh alongside with us. We will not make jokes about the victims or their families impacted by these crimes committed But we will make jokes about the perpetrator or where we see fit. If you don't believe that we should be making light of these topics or situations or enjoy banter on these topics, then this is not the podcast for you. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Welcome, Buck. Welcome back, everybody. We're here at Bloodthirsty Times. I'm Will.
1: I'm I'm Octavio.
2: And I'm Emily.
0: And this week we are talking about Betty Gale Brown, the unsolved murder down in Kentucky. So hold your horses and join us in these bloodthirsty times. Serial killers do on a small
2: scale what governments do on a large one. They are a product of the times, and these are bloodthirsty times.
0: Hello, everybody. Hey. Hello. How's it going? Good. How's your guys' week?
2: Spectacular.
1: It's okay. Great. Oh, just okay? All right. Yeah, I went, I went back to work. Oh. And I, and I didn't. And she didn't.
2: Oh, I can tell. I, I had the kids all week, though, so I would say I had it worse.
1: No. Mm. Yes. No. Write
0: to us at uh, Bloodthirsty Pottage.
1: <laughs> well, that's okay. yeah, that's, not. that's not thats not fair because she doesn't know. Well, the audience doesn't know what I have to deal with on a daily basis. So, you know, it's, it's not fair.
2: I have yeah, a 12-year-old and a
1: 6-year-old who fight nonstop. I win. I, I went to work in outside job in 30-degree weather.
0: Um, I was just told that if I test positive for COVID, but I'm asymptomatic, I still have to go to work.
2: Oh, me too. I was told that also.
0: Yeah. They said wear a mask.
2: You work in the COVID unit anyway. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Have fun. Yeah. Yay. Fun times all around.
1: All around. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, let's do it, huh? Let's get into it. Yeah. Unless you got something you want to talk about.
1: No, no, I'm good. I was just about to tell Richard to uh, fuck off. Yeah. Alright, Richard, we don't need oh, you. We're going. Okay, go back to the COVID ward. <laughs> You're not even supposed to be around us, Richard.
2: Yeah. Nope, he's passes five days. He's it's good. Okay, right. he's, good then.
0: he's good then. Yeah, I put up the sneeze guards around his piano.
1: <laughs> Alright, Richard, bye.
0: So this week, we're going to take a trip down to Kentucky for another unsolved murder. Oh. I, what? Ready? Oh, yeah. These are the deaths... Without answers. And the families we get started. without closure. I will be telling the stories and cases of the unfortunate with no real conclusions. Ooh.
1: I've come Art to realize journalism. I don't like
0: Yeah, I don't like hearing my voice. Anyways.
1: <clears throat> so where are we going to this time? Yeah,
0: Kentucky. Lexington, to be exact. Ooh. <laughs> 19-year-old Betty Gay O'Brien. She was a second-year student at Transylvania College, or as they eloquently call it, Transy. In Transy? Lexington. Transy. <laughs> that, that sounds wrong for something. I don't know. you thinking of do
1: another word. Yeah. No, they call yeah, it Transy. Be it yeah,
0: be Transy in Lexington, Kentucky. Yeah. Now, on the night of October 26, 1961, oh, this one gets a little dark. It's okay. It won't be with this music. She drove to the campus to study with friends for an upcoming exam. She would leave around midnight, but return a couple hours later, park her car in a driveway near the center of the campus. And by 3 a.m., she was found strangled to death with her own bra.
1: Now, yeah, the next time we tell this part of the story, it won't be with Kentucky bluegrass yeah. in the back.
0: Yeah, I should have added it to the end of this next bit, which is the founding of Transylvania College.
1: <laughs> Yikes.
0: Now, it was founded in 1780. It was the first university established in Kentucky. And in 1961, there was between six to 700 students who attended Transy, with most of them living in the dorms around campus. Betty, however, opted to live at home with her parents, Hargis Brown, a local salesman, and her mother, Quincy Brown, who was a housewife and also a part-time interior decorator when she wasn't being a housewife. Which, <laughs> yes, ladies, it's a full-time job. And Betty, being the only child, didn't have to worry about pesky siblings interrupting her studies. And her mother described her as the perfect daughter.
1: You know what? You know what's crazy, dude, about uh Betsy or uh Quincy, Betty's mom, Mm -hmm. is that Quincy Stanton Brown, Betty's mom, is actually Harry Dean Stanton's sister. Um, if you don't know who he is, um he's a character actor and he actually passed away in 2017 um he's not like a leading man or anything but if you saw him if you googled him real quick harry dean stanton you would definitely know him just by looking at him he's been in a lot of movies as background actors um he's been in the green mile he's been in the movie the original christine in like 83 uh escape from new york i mean hell he's even been in pretty and pink but
0: i digress ah digress
1: yeah i didn't uh
0: I didn't recognize the name, but then I googled him, and I was like, "Oh shit, I know this old man."
1: You know, yeah, you see him, you know exactly who he is. But it's just a crazy thing that he's Betty's uncle.
2: I've never Isn't seen that... any of those movies.
1: Um, so you know, thing, you know how that you know that whole thing where mm-hmm. we're married. Mm-mm. I don't remember. We might that. have to—we might have to rethink the whole marriage thing. I may have
2: seen the Green Mile. Maybe I think.
1: It's yeah. Not good enough. Oh well, yeah. At
0: least escape um, um, from New York. No, nope. we might not have to be married anymore after that. What's Christine? That's the one about
1: a car, right? The car one, yeah. Yeah, I didn't
2: see Oh, that. where he's like obsessed with his car?
1: No, Christine is a, a live car that kills people.
2: Oh, see. He lost. It's it's yeah.
1: Stephen King, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That could be right. Sounds right. No
0: oh, cool, we'll go with it. Tell us mm-hmm. if we're wrong.
1: Okay. So, uh Betty was actually born right at the start of the US involvement in World War II. And uh, Betty's dad, like most young male Americans at the time, had gone away to fight in the war. Um, And for the first maybe three and a half years of her life, Betty didn't know her dad at all. And actually, when she did meet her dad, she had written a letter to the paper detailing the glorious moment she finally hugged her dad when he returned from the war. And this letter would be the first time she made the front page, but it wouldn't be the last. The letter she wrote to the newspaper was part of a contest called My Big Moment. And she ended up winning second place. What's weird, though, is, like, the prize for second place was a puppy, which is an incredible prize that you think you would get for first place. I mean, for me, anyway, like, a puppy is the main thing that I want in life. I fucking love dogs, especially puppers. So what was, puppers.
0: Uh, uh, first place? A beta fish? <laughs>
2: We actually,
1: actually, we actually have two know. of those. Yeah, <laughs> I actually don't know what first Fuckers place is. Would die. <laughs> I, I, I would actually strive for second place if I knew that it was a puppy. So I don't know. Oh, but for sure. But unfortunately, uh, she made the news again, not for the main thing we know her for, but uh, they reported that the puppy she won in the contest was killed by a motorist uh, that didn't stop after he hit the dog. Oh. Yeah, it was a drive-by killing of a puppy. So that sucks.
0: Which normally doesn't make news. But, but she this won this in the yeah, papers. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so they're just jumping on the bit, and that one chomping at the bit. Is that how the same yep. goes? Chomping, yeah. at, chomping bit? at the
1: bit. Yeah, it's four horses.
2: That was where Octavio lost it.
0: love this.
1: Yeah.
2: He couldn't Ripping continue after reading that part. He That's had to terrible.
0: pause. <laughs> it's terrible news.
1: It is. It is terrible news. Yeah.
0: But Betty was liked by many at the college. Participated in many extracurricular activities uh, for the college, and regularly attended church. Betty never had a steady boyfriend, um, per her mother, and was being brought home by a number of different boys throughout high school and into her college days. Uh, she was a petite um, girl, very pretty, mm-hmm. but you wouldn't—you would think like, oh yeah, she just gets around with everyone. But she wasn't like that. She was very reserved. And apart from like a little peck and some petting, as they call it, uh, never did much else.
1: You know, it's what's crazy is I read also that uh, her mom had gotten her into the church activities, especially choir. And she started doing that at the age of one and a half. Since the age of one and a half, she was in the choir. And she actually was in, like, she started teaching the choir. And she did that till this t- age 30? She died. Yeah. probably. What are you doing at one and a half in a choir? I don't know, but that's what she was in. Her mom got her in straight away, man. Just waving your arms around. B- screaming in the background.
2: Just waving. <laughs> I don't, Standing I don't, there waving.
1: One and a half year olds. What, what was Luca doing at one and a half? Besides waving his, pants. Arms. waving his arms.
2: Waving his arms. Yeah, shouldn't also, dance. Also, what is petting?
1: Um, Heavy petting? Like, like over the clothes? Kinda?
0: Yeah, like yeah. over the clothes stuff.
2: So like dry humping? No, no,
0: no. Not necessarily. So hands. That would be dry humping. Heavy petting. <laughs> like you get handsy. But Hands. over-the-clothes over the handsy.
1: Okay. Got it. Over-the-clothes handies.
0: Yeah, over it's getting, yeah, getting a little felt up a little bit, you know?
2: Yeah. Okie dokie.
0: So on the morning of Thursday, October 26, 1961, Betty had planned to drive to the college to attend her classes and also later that day meet up with three of her classmates to study for what was going to be a very difficult upcoming biology exam. And the, the piece with um, transy the the college was it was big on its medical courses mm-hmm. um so it would lead you to believe that she was heading that way if she was you know taking biology or some sort of she wants to be a scientist or something <clears throat> she had um a, a lot of expectations she was she loved school and she drove her father's car onto the campus that that day because her car a nineteen fifty nine simca which I had to look up, and it's a pretty cool looking car.
1: Is it? I don't know what that is. Let me look it up real
0: quick. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. Um, it, it was going to get serviced um, that day. So she took her father's car, and on the way into campus, she dropped her mother off at work and then spent the majority of her day attending her classes and studying here and there. She returned home in the evening to enjoy a home cooked dinner, which was always waiting for her, and spent time with her parents and informed them of her studying plans for the rest of the evening.
1: That car looks exactly what you expect from a 60s car or mm-hmm. you know, 50, late 50s. Yeah,
0: it looks it's, it's a 60s. Like, oh, that's a, yeah, that, yeah that's 60s. Yeah, it looks cool. I would drive one, it looks yeah, like something sure. in
2: the Kingsman. <laughs>
0: that's true. Good call. That was probably in the 60s, right?
2: Mm, 50s, maybe. 50s. I don't know.
1: Yeah,
0: around then. Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> um, but so she informed her, her parents of her plans that night. Um, and that she would be returning home between probably 11 and and midnight, based on how long their studying goes. And she had mentioned uh, a movie that was going to be playing at the local drive-in and that her parents should go see it. So um, they decided they would go see it while she was out studying. And so around 7 p.m., Hargis and Quincy headed to the drive-in as Betty hopped in her Simca, fresh from the mechanic, and headed to the college. She parked her car next to the women's dorms, where her studying friends were, it was called Forer Hall, which was directly across from the center of campus and headed up to meet with her friends. Now, once she had met up with her study group, they promptly entered the study hall, which was located inside the dorms, uh, put their nose to the grindstone for a couple hours and got to it. Now they decided a couple hours in, they wanted to take a snack break. This was around 10 o'clock at night. And then the group would reconvene for another couple hours until Betty said her goodbyes around midnight.
1: This kind of stuff is a trip to me because she was supposed to have left by 11 PM, according to original plans and what she told uh, her parents and her friends, right? 11 PM. She's, she's going to call it a night, but because of the studying, she convinced the house mother of Forer Hall to let her stay just a little bit longer. And the house mother agreed and actually like saw her leave and like, walked her out to the door and locked the door behind her um to the dorm anyway the main building and even kind of more heartbreaking is that the girls in the dorm uh the study group had asked if she wanted to stay the night since it was so late at night already it was midnight by the time she left and uh the test was at eight thirty the next morning so she's already you know, cutting it close to sleep and getting ready the next day Um, But she politely said no thank you because she wanted to get home so she could wash her hair. Um, The crazy part is uh, it's crazy to think about like would any of this have happened if she had just gone home when she originally planned to or even if she had stayed with the girls inside the dorm. Like it's crazy how things happen because of little what we consider inconsequential things in the moment. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah it's like the butterfly effect. Like had you done one thing slightly different throughout the course of your day, how would further events later in the day, how would they have transpired?
1: It also kind of like makes me think of uh, Final Destination type of stuff. Like, is death going to get you no matter what?
2: I was just about to say that. It would have happened either way.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It's like, you know, people that, you know, drive through an intersection and get T-boned by a semi-truck. It's like, well, you know, had the light previous been two seconds slower, would they still be alive? Right.
1: But I guess that also leads to a further conversation of is, do we control our destiny, or is our life predetermined? Yes,
0: yeah, so that is <laughs> another... Uh, that's a whole <laughs> deep-ass conversation. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: Depends on your religious beliefs, I guess.
2: <clears throat> yeah.
0: So, after Betty said her goodbyes, again, remember this is around midnight, she walked back to her parked car, and this was around the same time a fellow student and friend of hers, 19-year-old Charles Risden, had entered his What's up, Charles? <laughs> I like it. Uh, I was like, "Is that someone pulling into my driveway?" What's
1: going on? It is exactly what that's what the thing says, dude. Good. That's the sound effects. Yeah, pulling up and stopping.
0: I heard it, and I was like, like slightly looking around my my room, like, uh, what?
1: And hey, we strive for realism here, Bloodthirsty yeah. Times.
0: If y'all just looked around your room, if you were listening to it, not in your car, you're welcome. <laughs> Now, as he pulled up, (laughs) uh, they had a brief conversation, and he was asking, you know, why you're out so late, Uh, you know, studying, and they parted ways. Risen recalls pulling into the parking lot of his own dormitory and saw her drive past on the road that would lead her back home, uh, but didn't see her car after that. Just knew, like, oh, she's going that way. Cool. Mm Mm-hmm. And at around ten thirty PM her parents had returned home from the drive-in movie, and noticed that Betty had not arrived home yet, but they paid no mind because they knew she'd be studying, and they should and she should return home sometime around midnight or so.
2: I was glad we had returned before Betty. I always like to be in the house when she came in.
0: And after Hargis had went to bed, he had a headache, like taking my ass to sleep.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Her mother stayed up waiting for her.
2: I never went to sleep until betty came in so i decided that i would read a paper and a new magazine
0: quincy put on pajamas and with a heating pad in hand went to lay in betty's bed until she returned home to keep it warm for her she only started to get worried after she had finished reading both the newspaper and the magazine and realized it was midnight and her daughter had yet to return home the dorm tours closed at midnight unless like you had to get special permission to get to the midnight stage. Um, And so in her mind, she's like, well, she can't be far now. Right. She's got to be coming home soon. But by 1240, she knew something wasn't right because it only took 15 minutes to get from home to school. And she was now just too anxious to go to bed. So she grabbed a coat, hopped in the car, and drove the route she thought her daughter would take to get from campus to their house. Now, she took the, ra- the, ra- <laughs> <sighs> she took the route all the way to 4 Hall and checked the surrounding area for any signs of Betty Simcoe. With no luck, she turned around and took the same route home, hoping that she just missed her and that Betty would be at home when she arrived. Still no luck. So this time, she took a different route to the campus, and circled around checking all the side streets, desperately searching in vain for the slightest glimpse of her daughter's car. Panic started to set in, and she drove quickly back to the house, praying that again she had just missed her and would see her car in the garage upon her return. Again, she was met with the gut-wrenching sight of an empty garage. So she rushed inside and saw that it was 1.40 a.m., she woke up Hargis and told him it was already it was almost 2am and Betty had not returned home yet. He responded as she had expected.
1: Don't worry, she's just gone to get something to eat or take someone home. There's nothing that could have happened to her. She will be alright. Quincy
0: not satisfied with his answer pushed for him to do more so Hargis reluctantly got out of bed and phoned the police to see if there was any reports of a car accident involving a gray 1959 Simca. But nothing had been reported, and Hargis did not report his daughter missing at this time. He then called the hospital to see if anyone matching his daughter's description had been admitted. Again, nothing. Quincy called up for Hall, where she knew her daughter had been studying, and spoke with the house mother asking if she knew anything about her daughter's whereabouts. The house mother confirmed that betty had arrived at four hall and had asked her if she could stay until midnight to study with her three friends but had left just shy it was like 11:55 that night and she had personally walked her out hargus finally called the police back after that information and officially reported her missing giving them the complete description of his 19 year old daughter along with the description of the simca the license plate number and that she had left the four house around midnight. Police then broadcast an APB with their description and the description of the car. Hargis and Quincy, not wanting to leave the fate of their daughter in the hands of detectives, went out to search the campus and surrounding areas again, meeting with Betty's friends and asking if anyone had seen their daughter. They would return home empty-handed
1: around 3 a.m. Hey, is it weird to anyone else that she waited till two to wake up Hargis? very like i know in my marriage with emily i would have been woken up immediately at 12 40 when uh or even at midnight when uh quincy noticed that she wasn't home first like of all been...
2: there's nothing open in 19 i don't know what is it 61 that at 12 40 admit you know there's nothing open so she's not eating they anywhere got, they
0: got they got 24 diners but it's not Mm-mm. a it, yeah it's not a, a there's not many of them i should say. Uh,
1: From what I understand, they had a great relationship with their daughter, right? They had like a really good, healthy relationship. So they knew her as it was. So like I said, for Hargis not to be woken up until two, like it was, that strikes me.
2: I wouldn't have driven those spots like back and forth, back and forth by myself. I would have made him get up and go with me or take in two separate cars if they had them or just something because like- while one's missing her, the other one could have found her or just, you know, whatever the case may be. I would have not just left because then but she may have not come back either.
0: Different times, right? Different times. You're, you're living 15 minutes well, from the university, a university town and you know your daughter is not like a departing type. She's not a floozy.
1: Um, you also don't, don't even want to consider that the worst, you know what I mean? Like that's not what you... I can understand. I'm not like implicating them in anything at all. I'm mean, that's not my intention. I just, I just wanted to comment like in, especially in my house, it is weird that he was not woken up until 2am.
0: Yeah, no, no I, I agree. I, I just think it's different times and that, you know, now we're in a, a world where we can so easily reach out to someone Yeah. and be like, like Hey, a simple hey, text. Yeah. You're not home yet. Or a phone call back then. It was just like, Okay, I guess she's running late or did something else. I'm not too con- concerned about the area. I just think it was a, a, kind of a, a different living era when it comes but to even, that. But even even
2: sidestep from this this story, there were things like this happening in the world at that time, and I just think it's weird like he said that the dad wasn't woken up and that the mom decided to go search for her by herself and passed the point of the university went back home, then went back out. Like, then waited a while and woke up the dad. I just think that's odd. Like, from the get go, I would have done everything I could, meaning waking up my husband, telling him, like, come on, we gotta get going. Our daughter's missing. Like, something's going gone. Not right. She's never done this. Just something.
1: Yeah, I guess like because we're married, and I'm thinking of it in that terms. Um, when he said, "And hey, don't worry about it," like that's something you say at twelve thirty. You know, half an hour after he she hadn't come home not two hours after she was supposed to be home you know what i mean mm-hmm. i think he was just a little too lax about it maybe but i mean he picked it up so i'm, I'm not faulting him just no i'm, I'm not, not getting that mindset him. i'm trying to get that mindset you know what i mean uh, you
0: woke the man up out of a slumber yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean, I, if, er, he's like that half asleep. Er,
0: no, no, no. Everything's No, no, don't worry. I can't say
2: that my dad wouldn't do that today if my stepmom woke him up and said one of the girls is like not home when they're supposed to be. I can't say that my dad wouldn't have just been like, oh, she's fine and go back to sleep. Yeah. Like their minds don't, don't automatically so. out of sleep go to they're murdered. You know, like that's not their thing. <laughs> moms, no, maybe. That's the mom's Dads, not so much. Yeah.
0: So 3 a.m. Right. Detective Donald Duckworth received and i thought that was a made-up name it is <laughs> <not>. <laughs> i did not make up that name for that detective his name is detective donald duckworth
1: man he's got so much shit for that yes <laughs> called You're donald just... duck all the time or they did do that uh, donald duck exactly come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine every time he talks in like a meeting like yeah. a, a super serious like detective meeting and then he's talking to someone in the background is just like doing that sound because i yeah. can't do it yeah like, someone like, but, like Dr. donald duckworth <laughs> talking he's like <laughs> hey, he's come talking on, guys. Serious? Seriously. Seriously, I'm I talking was... about this murder. Oh, okay, I go was... ahead, Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: they cracked me up. Yeah. yeah. Bring some light into a serious topic here, shall we? He received the all points bulletin about the missing Transylvania student and immediately began his search of the area. Now, he they started...
1: Immediately, uh, they immediately say it was um, Vlad or Dracula that did it?
2: <laughs> I just got that
1: <laughs> it, was count,
0: it, was count Chocula. Oh, it was count Oh, was are good. one uh, 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 two <laughs> now but he uh, he began his search and he started at her last known location which was Forer Hall and asked the students there if they had any idea where she could have gone now he left the dorm with no new leads as they only gave him the same information that They had given uh, the Browns, like, no, like, she left around midnight, and that was the last we saw of her. And so then he headed out to patrol the surrounding streets. As he approached Morrison Hall, he noticed a car that matched the description of the missing girls parked in the driveway. As he approached the vehicle, he noticed someone sitting in the driver's seat, but as he got closer, he saw that the young girl was not moving. Her eyes were closed, and she had what looked like to be a bra wrapped around her neck. And Detective Duckworth knew she was dead.
1: Have you the the picture that they took of her, dude? The when they initially found her is super haunting. Yeah, like yeah. I showed it to you guys. Like, she's not like slumped over into the steering wheel like you might expect. She's like sitting straight up with like her hands down her sides, and like the, her actual hands like resting on the bench seat. Um, and her head is leaned like all the way back, like against the bench seat in the back. Like, yeah, like it, like her neck is broken. Is broken. Like, yeah, yeah it's but just it, back but it almost looks like she's like taking a really intense nap right like she's just like head back like mouth open like drooling it would you know from far away it yeah would look like that but it's just it's not what I when I looked at the picture it's not what I expected pictured yeah expected and it's just it's really like like i said it's haunting almost
0: yeah because they don't they didn't have the high back uh seats they had the the bench seats, like you'd see in an old like F 150. So the seat ends like right at your shoulder. So her head is like cranked back.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, I flew it's, over it's a, a few of those in my day. Yeah, it's a I really, don't, uh, I don't angry. know.
1: We, we can't post that kind of picture, but um, it's hard to describe. Like just looking at it. If you can find it, you know what I'm talking about, but we're not going to post it.
0: Yeah. So after discovering the dead girl's body, he left the doors closed to keep the crime scene intact and radioed for backup. A patrol car showed up in a couple minutes, followed by two more detectives. These are high-up detectives because they're captains. Captain Gilbert Cravens and Captain Brian Henry. And along with them, the coroner tagged along because they knew it was a dead body. Mm -hmm. He reported to the two detectives that he found the woman dead upon his arrival and had not tampered with the crime scene. Around the same time, Quincy had again started searching the area around for her hall and saw a group of girls standing in the doorway of the dormitory and asked, Hey, have have you heard anything, seen anything about Betty? They hadn't heard anything, but they said she could wait in the dorm with them until more information arrived. Quincy not wanting to stand by idly waiting for news of her daughter, she got back in her car and noticed a patrol car behind her searching the nearby driveway. Remember the 4 Hall and Morrison are close together.
1: Right. What it is, is there's 4 Hall and directly across the street, there's a main road. And then there's kind of like a U where you drive in and back out, um, like a drop-off zone. And then they have like the arts building. So that's where they were looking mainly. Yeah. Notice
0: the patrol car uh, behind her was searching the the nearby driveway with a, a flashlight or the spotlight of the the squad car. So she ran over towards the squad car and asked the officer if they had found her daughter. Uh,
1: let's see. Uh, yes, Mrs. Brown, we have found your daughter. I hate to tell you this, but your daughter is dead.
0: Now, Quincy, heartbroken. thats the last thing you want to hear from a police officer when you're out searching for your daughter. It's like, no, we found her. But, She's dead. Yeah. So Quincy was in no state to drive home. And so she was driven home by the officer. And then a couple of the students followed behind in Quincy's own car. When they arrived back at the Brown residence, they were greeted at the door by Hargis who had not yet heard of the news of his daughter. He asked what was wrong. What happened? His wife was the one that had to break the news to him. Betty Gail Brown was dead. And now Hargis asks a question that still remains unanswered.
1: Who in the world could have done such a thing?
0: The detectives Craven and Henry then focus on the crime scene, trying to answer that question. Who could have done this?
1: Okay, but like, can we back up real quick. Emily, can can you imagine telling me?
2: Absolutely not. There's probably no way I could have. I probably would have not been able to speak. I would have been in shock. And the whole, like, I don't know, the way this situation went down with the mom being there is very unorthodox. Like, that wouldn't normally happen.
1: Well, this is 1960s police work. I mean, I'm not, not saying
2: reliable. here. I'm not even saying now. I'm saying back then because there's not, like, cell phones to say, hey, we found her daughter. Come on. And, like, you know, she was already out looking for her. Then the APB went out. It was just... Not, I wouldn't say luck, but it was just, you know, she was persistent and trying to find her daughter, and she was there, and it just, it happened the way it happened, and then she had to go home and tell her husband, and I don't think I could have done that.
0: I think just the look on her face, he probably already knew.
1: He knew. He knew. It's like when... uh,
0: Especially when it's her and
1: police, a police and a whole bunch of classmates. yeah you're like it's it's uh, like it's the same thing as a parent getting a knock on the door by a military personnel yeah. You know? yeah
2: but also at the same time he may be like in such shock because he was asleep when she woke him up the first time and he was just like oh she's still out or you know she's doing this she's doing that and he didn't think that his mind never went there to begin with and hers did something was wrong she knew it now proven something has happened and he's now like, oh crap. Like she was right. I was half asleep. I wasn't paying attention. Like there there could be a zillion things going through his mind.
1: Yeah, there's definitely such a thing as a mother's intuition. Like sure dad's like I think I've told this story before, but like my dad uh got me out of my room real quick, said, hey, we gotta go right now. And I had no idea what the fuck was happening. And my dad said, get in the car, we started driving. Um and then he was looking around forever. And Turns out on the other side of the freeway, come the other way, my brother and my sister were in their car with the hood up and they were in trouble. Like this was before cell phones. This was like 2001, 2000, something like that. So p- parents know is my point. Like it's just this thing, innate feeling, I guess. Yeah.
0: I don't have kids, so I don't have that intuition, but I've heard it many times. Not that a times. You know of. Not that I know of. Do do get a small pain in my back every now and then, so maybe.
2: <laughs> That's that.
0: Yep. <clears throat> now I know. So now the detectives started focusing on the crime scene, a little more in detail than just looking through the window. They investigated the body and noticed a cut on her forehead with blood both on her forehead and on the passenger side of the dashboard. They also noticed a broken piece of her bra resting in her lap. I think they said it was like a four-inch piece of the fabric, like had Mm -hmm. been torn off. And it was visibly apparent that the cause of death was strangulation based on the bruising around her neck. Her clothes were intact with only the top two buttons of her shirt undone, but everything else was untouched. Wait a second.
1: Yes.
2: How did they get her bra off like that?
1: I've been wondering the same things as I heard that bit, but I I have no idea. Maybe, well, because of the piece of coffee, um, it was literally ripped off of her. Yeah, I go into it a little bit. Okay. okay. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go, I'll
0: go into it a little bit, which uh, it kind of um, helps lead certain um, pathways during the investigation, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like what, what people are thinking, what the investigation team is thinking. Yeah.
2: yeah. Gotcha.
0: But again, everything was untouched. They just saw like, oh, her top two buttons are down. But <clears throat> her shirt's still tucked in um, to her pants. Like nothing looks out of place. Um, she still had her books in the car. Um, and they noted that the driver's door and both rear doors were locked, leaving the passenger door as what would have been the method of entry, the only unlocked door.
1: Yeah, like, the the bra thing. So because the bra was found around her neck and the fact that the top two buttons on her shirt were unbuttoned, detectives immediately thought that this had been a strangulation with a sexual motive. However, like, because literally, like you're saying, no other clothing on her body had been disturbed, along with their autopsy, uh, they ultimately concluded there was no sexual motivation. So, like, it was pretty early on in the investigation that they said this is the motive is not sexual. So they ruled that part out.
0: Yeah. I don't want to say in most cases, because I don't investigate a lot of sexual assault, rape cases. Um, A lot of them. They don't uh, put their clothes back on. You know? Yeah. Um, The, 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 I have the, the, the suspect, the suspect in a murder case, I'm not saying a rape case or a sexual assault case where they don't kill the victim. I'm saying following, like they'll find the victim murdered and they'll be like, oh, her pants have been removed. So then they're like, oh, okay, this may have been a rape. And then they go into that mindset. But when you come across someone that's dead, but they're fully clothed with the exception of they don't have a bra on and their top two buttons are undone, but everything else is intact, including, I'll get a little graphic because it was during the autopsy, but her Panties were still on, and she had a tampon in. So,
1: yes, sexual motivation isn't Is no the motive isn't sexual. Yes, so
0: yes, so now the detectives try to search for yet another motive. So, again, searching the interior of the vehicle, they saw that she had her purse, which was untouched in the vehicle so they ruled out robbery as a motive. The keys were found on the floorboard behind the driver's seat so they could only conclude that a struggle had taken place before the murder. After that initial field investigation, both the vehicle and the body were sent to police headquarters for an autopsy and so they can further investigate the vehicle. The autopsy, however, would not reveal anything new about the cause of death. And the pathologist would state that the cause of death was suffocation from strangulation. A team of about 20 detectives were sent out to interview witnesses in and around the campus. And they would speak with the three women from her study group, but again, nothing new would come to light. They couldn't help determine who the suspect was. They just had the same information they were given everyone that she left around midnight. It was mentioned, however, that Betty was good at always locking her car doors, and the fact that the passenger door was unlocked would speculate that she knew her attacker. It was also said that Betty would remove her bra during menstruation as the bra irritated her breasts, so the broken piece of her bra found in her lap may not indicate a struggle to have it removed.
1: Wait, so she wouldn't even have had it on?
0: Correct. They're saying that... It it may have been broken during the the strangulation.
1: Itself, like the actual and, force to strangulate her. Yes. Not, not the ripping it off her body, but the actual force it took to kill her with it. Correct. So at this point, no motives, but possibly she knew him, and that's literally all they have at this moment?
0: Yeah, all the evidence is saying she knew someone because her passenger door was unlocked, and it goes to saying why her only her two top buttons were undone. And, like, how the hell would you get her bra off? Because she probably removed it before she started driving.
1: I see. So no motive, just maybe she knew him. That's crazy. Yeah. There's very little to go on. It's got to be frustrating.
2: I want you both to put a bra on and a shirt with two buttons unbuttoned and get it off and let me know how that works. Because this is weird. That is not how that works.
1: No, I'm saying she she didn't have it on to begin with. Sure, when the like, attack started, yeah, so she
2: so you mean she took she, it off outside herself. or in the car, I mean, mm-hmm. just somewhere else. And well,
0: she got in the like, so she left the study group, got into her car, and then took her bra off because she was menstruating and it irritated her breast, so she just took it, it, it off and then but and then just like the top two buttons, like I don't button all the way up to my freaking neck, yeah, but that, that
2: in up. itself is, is weird. Like, I mean, not saying it's unheard I mean, of, it's- I'm just saying, like.
1: She might have taken off her whole shirt, and then when she I'm, was done with her bras, she buttoned. Un-
2: I get what you're saying, but this is 1961, and people wouldn't do this, especially if she'd just run into Charles Risden in the parking lot. Like, you're not going to be sitting out there taking off your clothing in the parking lot in the dark by yourself.
1: I mean, that's a good point. But there's I mean, still there's she-
2: still
0: three hours between when she was last seen by Risden and when her body was found. Yeah, there's a there's a three hour window.
1: So And then they said that she actually left the area, right? She was headed mm-hmm. south towards was, her home.
0: Yeah, she was, Yeah, the, the last she was seen was by Risden, who as he pulled into his dormitory, she drove past down the road to her house. Mm-hmm.
1: So at some point she found the time to be alone enough to take off her bra.
0: Yeah. But again, it's not 100%. that just right. where the evidence is pointing that there wasn't a forcible removal of her bra type of thing. So again, we're going to mention Charles Risen because he would end up speaking with investigators 12 hours after the body was found and tell them that he was probably the last person to see Betty that night and gave him his own recollection of the events. That he had seen Betty in her car parked near his and drove over and had a brief conversation with her before he headed to his dorms. He noticed that she was driving behind him, and when he had pulled into his dorm parking lot, she had continued on her way down the road towards her house. The detectives, however, noticed that he seemed nervous and uneasy during that interview. And so those detectives told Captain Cravens, who was leading the investigation, that Risden should be brought in for another interview. This time, it would be conducted by Cravens himself. His story remained the same, and following an investigation into his story, his alibi checked out. So I didn't include the whole written out freaking thing, but basically he's like, oh, yeah, when I got back to my dorm, I I spoke with this person, I spoke with this person. And then so investigators went and spoke with that person, and the other person, like, yeah, he was here. Alibi checks out. Hmm. And they're like, well, you still seem a little uneasy, so go ahead and do a polygraph for us. And he passed. So he's no help. (laughs) Other than saying, hey, I saw her drive this way at this time.
1: I mean, I want... When these things happen, I want to believe that the police know a lot more than I do. And look at the overall picture. So there's reason to say that he didn't do this. You know, not just... They said he didn't do it. Because it sounds suspicious. He's the last one to see her alive. Because I don't know how like rehearsed his story sounded you know what i mean so i i want to believe the police did their job and he is not involved but you know with an unsolved mystery like this you, everyone's a suspect kind of you know what i mean
0: yeah especially the last person to see him alive at this point
2: also so, they, re- they relied too heavily on polygraphs back then than they do they now. Did, that's like, true that's very they're also inaccurate.
1: inadmissible
2: yes very much so
0: Yeah, they don't. Uh, they're not one hundred percent accurate because you can fool the polygraph. Mm-hmm. Not that I have. I'm saying you can.
2: <laughs> we believe you. Thank you.
0: Now there was a subsequent media frenzy following the murder case, and what was somewhat concerning, which would come to bite them in the ass later. Was that the authorities were releasing specific details surrounding the death and the murder, and they even included pictures of the body at the scene and the autopsy in hopes that this information would spark the citizens to start coming up with any information and be like, oh, no, actually, I saw this person on this date. They they were hoping it would spark something in citizens to, to come forward with information. But all it did was just added fuel to the speculation fire.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now people are like, "Oh yeah, I thought I saw this person doing this." It just it 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 didn't help, and they didn't realize it at the time. But later on during the investigation, it just it hindered them that much more, giving out too much information.
1: And also the media also kind of the it's not. Same as fake news, but it was fake news. They just started printing whatever, you know what I mean. Anytime there was a slight uh, rumor, they would print it. So Mm -hmm. that didn't help either.
0: No, it's it's. And I'm not anti-media. Just if you give them too much,
2: they run with it big time. They
0: run with it, and then they'll tend to
2: twist it, add
0: a little bit of flair to it. So.
2: That's how they make their money. Mm-hmm. So that's their own agenda.
0: And I could go on for days. <laughs> that's a whole nother, but I digress. <laughs> now, just two days after the murder, a waitress contacted the authorities saying she had new evidence relating to the murder. She met with detectives at police headquarters and said that she had actually seen the victim in her restaurant, which was a, like a dine like a, 24-hour place, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that was popular among the students at Transy. Um, And at some point, uh, she had seen her between the timetable of midnight and 1 a.m. She she left for you. Yes. Yeah. So, after this would be, like, per the timetable, it was after uh, she was last seen driving towards home. It was in that time period but she mentioned she was with another girl and they sat at a booth. She ordered a hot chocolate. The other girl ordered a tea and they would leave shortly after finishing their drinks. The waitress was able to posit positively identify the clothing. They brought her to the headquarters and said, Hey, these are, do you recognize these clothes? She's like, yep, that's what she was wearing. They showed her the body and said, yep, that's her. However, She was unable to identify the mystery girl. They showed the waitress all of the females that were enrolled in the college at the time, but yet she could not pinpoint. (laughs) Pinpoint. You know what I was going to say? I don't. It's okay. You do. She was unable to uh, identify the other female. And so this new evidence, quote-unquote evidence, that was given to investigators turned into a dead end.
1: Yeah, they tried multiple times. Like, okay, here's all the list of the girls or pictures of the choir girls. Here's a list of everyone in the dorm. Here's a list of everyone in the school. Like, uh they just tried to get her to confess. And you know, you, I'm sure you'll talk about it later, but this leads to a ton of problems. Like we're talking about the media found out about this. You know. And it's just more shit to add to the publicity, like you were saying. But um, I don't know, like there's another media frenzy after getting this information from authorities Um, and Betty that the fact that Betty was accompanied by another woman that morning. And so speculation started to fly once again. Uh, There was one in particular with a radio news station saying a female had come forward with the full confession. Again, not true, just more shit. Um, but authorities did have a difficult time stamping down the false rhetoric, but eventually it died down only to be brought to light once again further along in the investigation, which we'll talk about a little bit later.
0: Yeah, that was the, the it's going to bite you in the ass. Mm-hmm. So investigators were devoting <clears throat> much of their time finding any witnesses in the area who would have seen Betty's movements during that midnight to 1 a.m. time frame. A newspaper delivery driver came forward and said that during his route, about two weeks prior to the killing, he saw a man standing on the sidewalk, and when a small car approached, he ran into the street calling out the name Betty. When the vehicle stopped, he entered the vehicle from the passenger door, and then the car proceeded to park in the driveway in front of Morrison Hall. He would say that the man was wearing a checkered shirt, he had red hair, and was of medium build, looking to be about 20 years old. A few nights after, he noticed the same car, pulled into the same driveway, but this time instead of a male in the passenger seat, it was a female. The newspaper delivery driver had a helper that rode with him and provided the exact same story. And although those events did not take place on the night of the murder, it raised some questions for investigators. Who was the male in the car with her? They would look questions. questions who is the male who is the female was this a normal thing was any of it true was any of it true
2: was it a woman dressed as a man
0: yeah there was transi. a transy was it a man dressed? <laughs> 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 you're welcome yeah no that it, it, it just it added more questions of you know we got, we got to find something we have a little bit more information right but was it true because again the newspaper was putting out so much information on the case people were just like oh yeah i saw this person do this and this person did do... it just it's so bullshit. but they would eventually find her diary and saw numerous entries detailing men she had been dating recently and so they decided to interview all of them all the names that were mentioned and after the interviews, they could see that she wasn't disliked by any of them. And so nope. they were like, okay, then I guess they probably had no part in the murder. There's no motive there for any of her for exes.
2: That's <clears throat> never the case. What's that? The ex is always the first one.
0: Except for this case.
2: Mm, we'll see.
0: Well, we won't see because it's unsolved. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah.
0: And so after a week of intense searching, evidence gathering, and interviewing close to 250 people, investigators were no closer to finding their suspect. And so they went to the next step. Let's fingerprint all of the students, which was going to take them a couple days. Yeah, yeah, six yeah, six to seven hundred people going to school. You're gonna need some time, and I think yeah. they got through. I think like 250 of the males, and eventually they stopped. Like, ah, uh, this is this is taking up too much time.
1: So they stopped because it took too long. Like that's not good police work. Yeah, they <laughs> they're like, well,
2: I wonder if they solved any other crimes doing that though.
1: That's a good question, actually.
2: Or if they would have kept going and made it seem, because, you know, now if someone tried to do that at a university, it would have been like a complete and utter civil rights um, violation and they would have not backed it and fought it and everything like that. But back then, if they'd have done the whole campus, who knows how many crimes could have been solved from that.
1: That's true. That is very true.
2: It's a good point.
0: But they don't make, well, I haven't gone to college, so they don't make you do fingerprints or anything?
2: Uh, Yes, they do. Well, to get into certain programs, yeah, they do.
0: Okay. Proactive policing.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Just making sure you're not wanted for murder (laughs) before they let you in.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. So there were three sets of prints that were located inside of Betty's car when they had done their initial investigation. They would find out that two of the three belonged to her parents, Hargis and Quincy, the third belonged to a mechanic. The same one that worked on the car that day.
1: Oh, man. Or the
0: day before, I guess. If we're talking 3 a.m. is the next day. The day before. And he went to investigators because he heard that they were searching for people based on the thing. Because remember newspapers? Yeah,
1: they said everything. Putting out,
0: they're, they're putting out, hey, we're looking for people because we found fingerprints. And he's like, oh, shit, I worked on this car.
1: <laughs>
0: they're going to think I did it. So he actually went to the detectives like hey before you run the fingerprints and find that are mine i'm telling you these are my fingerprints like okay well what did you work on He's like well i worked on the heater and my fingerprints would also be on the dashboard the steering column and most likely in other places on the interior of the vehicle which all checked out they found fingerprints exactly on the heater
1: yeah but what do- creative cover wouldn't it be like he let's say in an alternate reality he did do this and he was smart enough to know i had just worked on this woman's car and they're gonna find my prince but i actually did murder her so, but i have a reason to you know i'm thinking i'm smart mm-hmm. that'd be weird that does yeah. make sense
2: you're honest i was thinking that the whole time
0: <laughs> you're to something sir Have you murdered someone in your past?
1: Have you murdered anyone Um, at at Ingles? We're we're talking about uh, Betty Gale Brown today. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, sorry.
2: He has. Deflection.
0: Deflection. Yep. He's good at it. So now, this whole fingerprint lead came to a screeching halt. And now there's, there's a lull in their investigation. They're just solely reliant on tips. And leads given to them by anyone who might have information on the case, thinks they have information on the case, who the fuck knows, they said, go ahead and call us if you have any information. And they got a lot of leads.
1: Yeah, They, they went, anytime they got a lead, they went out of state to go. You know, people that they investigated like anyone. There's a couple students that like quit the next day and like went back to their home state. Uh, They went and investigated them. Like, why'd Mm -hmm. you quit? There's a couple uh, workers, teachers or um, janitors or whatever that quit uh, pretty shortly afterwards. They went to their home state and investigated them. There was just a bunch of people that happened to leave the next day after the murder and they investigated all of them. Nothing came of any of it. Lots yeah. of time wasted, and after like two years of this, they, it was pretty much a cold case. After about two years of, like, they—I mean—they were actively investigating this crime. Like, they did not let up.
0: Yeah, there was um, investigated someone in New York because they had uh, newspaper clippings of this oh, murder, and yeah. they found it. Yeah. And they're like, Were you a part of this? They were just grasping at straws. But Even so
1: much that that New York guy is weird though. Why did he have all those newspaper clippings?
0: I don't know, someone that likes murder?
1: Who, who likes murder? I don't
0: know.
2: Was her family like People um, are going to look at us later and be wealthy? like, wait,
0: why, why did you guys research this stuff?
2: <sighs> Was she wealthy? What's that? Was her family wealthy?
0: Mm, I'd, I'd say, no, I wouldn't say you know, wealthy. I would say they're
2: probably Confidently middle,
1: middle class. Yeah. Confidently middle class.
2: I'm just curious as to why they spent so much time, you know, pretty, all these tip lines. Pretty white girl.
1: Pretty white girl in the '60s got murdered, and no one knows why. It's it's intriguing to a lot of people. And
2: no, I'm not saying it's not intriguing. It, it, but it wasn't like...
0: them fronting money. The the police wanted this solved. It happened in the university town, so they're like, we gotta find closure because people yeah. are freaking out here. They had the freaking Transylvanian Strangler going around. Like, we gotta <laughs> we gotta find them. Wonder so if that, it's related
1: the, to the Scranton Strangler.
0: Yeah. Oh. Mm. It was in Pennsylvania. (laughs) It's close. He can travel. It sounds the same. It does. Doesn't have quite the nice ring that Scranton Strangler has to it, but. Um but yeah, they just they were grasping at straws. It was even mentioned that Quincy Brown, her mother, was the suspect in the case.
1: That's rough. What the hell? Yeah, people were talking
0: about. She was asking like so it was just like this uh, like gossip going around and she started asking people like hey can I ask you a question like to good friends like yeah you have to be honest with me like okay are people saying that I'm I I killed my daughter and they're like yeah like well do you believe horrific that is horrible yeah they're like do you believe them no, there's no way. Like it's, it's, it's gossip. It's just people talking about it and hearing other people talk about it. And even the police acknowledged that people were talking about it. And even they were like, "That is so far fetched," because they had such a great relationship. Like, there's no way. There's no motive. There's no indication that her own mother would kill her. Okay. There are let so alone, many let alone strangle her with her own bra.
2: There are so many stories out there about. Moms, daughters who have great relationships, and this actually starting to make sense more that she went yeah. home and all of that kind of stuff. Then woke the husband up well after and drove exactly where she was, and then drove back and then drove again. And yeah, and it was there.
1: When, what Emily's saying, like I was, I was literally about to say hi. My name is Devil's Advocate. Uh, she went yeah, to go stop find making her sense. at twelve forty, <laughs> right? And so they didn't find her body till after three. So she had, and she was in the area. Her mom was Quincy was from 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock or 2 o'clock until she wants to go get her husband. What happened in that hour, bro? Exactly. She has no alibi. Yeah, but I think Quincy, I think she, she genuinely loved her daughter. Like, she I don't think have, it's her. She I, may, I'm may just have saying.
2: loved her so much that she wanted her dead. We'll go um, on to the just saying.
0: theories at the end. Because now that you're saying this, I will say something else later. Right. Ominous for foreboding can't wait now to you octavia if you would please. oh yeah i thought you're gonna say this first what oh yeah oh yeah i could say that too <laughs> <clears throat> no one would confess to the murder until five years later thank you, you that, le- that leads me perfectly okay. into what okay. I was sorry i didn't give you the correct transition sir no
1: you haven't fully transitioned yet
0: okay no i'm still in train of you <laughs>
1: All right. I'm, I'm so glad we're not monetized. <laughs> Me too. So, on a Saturday in January of 1965 in Klamath Falls, Oregon, a drunk vagrant named Alex Arnold Jr. woke up and immediately hit the sauce. Just got drunk as fuck as soon as he opened his eyes. And then shortly afterward was arrested for disorderly conduct and public intoxication. He must have been wilding out if you think about it. Like, he must have been just going to ham on this town in Klamath. But um, at his court hearing, the judge found him guilty of public intoxication and was fined $25, which today is about $209. Seeing as how Alex was sleeping on the street and had no car or a job, so therefore no money, he was unable to pay his fine, so he wasn't. he was sent to jail for 10 days instead of paying off his fine. He was locked up on a saturday right drunk as fuck and two days later on a monday he started seeing things on the wall he says there were these creatures crawling around his cell and eventually started talking to the toilet paper i don't know if it's obvious or not but clearly this man was in the early stages of delirium tremens or dt for short um and in layman's terms he was going through withdrawals yep so as his DT got worse, he started threatening to kill himself. By Tuesday night, Alex was telling guards that he needed to talk to someone. And the jailer was like, yeah, man, for sure, man, let's let's talk about things. What do you want to talk about? But Alex was like, nah, homie, I want to talk to a detective. I have a secret. And I want to tell the police about it. When the detective from Klamath Falls arrived to talk to him, the first thing that Alex says is that he wants to talk he can't do it in his jail cell because there's a mind-reading machine in there that he needs to get away from. When they got to a safe place, a mind-reading machine? Oh. So okay. when they got to a safe place, the detective says,
2: Okay, now what is it that you need to get off your chest?
1: Yeah, I think I killed a woman back in Kentucky. A little more drunk. Yes, I think I killed a woman back in
0: Kentucky. Thank
2: you. Well, when did you do it? Do that, and who did you kill?
0: Well, I don't know. It was like three or four years ago. It was. Um, it was. Uh, oh, uh, Betty Cal Brown. She was a student. Are you
2: sure you killed her?
0: Well, I'm like ninety nine percent certain I killed her.
1: <laughs> and seen. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Wonderfully done.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: So obviously this was a huge confession, but before the detective even said anything, not a word to Lexington police, he went and had Alex interviewed and assessed by a physician, which is smart. I'm glad he did that before he just went off saying whatever this crazy person is saying is truth. He went and got him checked out. Um, And the physician told the Klamath detective that there's nothing wrong with him mentally or physically with uh Alex now cleared ne- lexington police were now involved and within a day they were in Oregon to collect the new suspect
0: nothing physically wrong except for dt's but you know
1: yeah, they they don't consider that no. wrong they don't actually probably don't even know what that is
0: <laughs> back then i don't know they didn't Especially. care you're just a drunk yeah so now they started to interrogate Arnold and ask for his versions of events. He claimed that he was searching for a place to sleep after going on a bender at his favorite local watering hole. He initially went to the nearby park, Kratz Park, but left because there was just too many people around. He stumbled around the area making his way into Transylvania campus where he encountered Betty Gale Brown. He claimed that he saw Betty and another woman messing around. They were in her car in front of the Morrison Hall and asked the two for a light. Can I get a light? (laughs) He was met with cursing and yelling and left promptly. But he didn't get far before the alcohol fueled his rage and he went back to the car to confront them. He yanked open the door to Betty's car and started to attack the two women. The unidentified woman fled from Arnold, but Betty wasn't so lucky. She got tossed around, but put up a fight, resulting in the scrapes and bruises and the gash on her forehead. She was killed by strangulation from the bra, and Arnold claimed he threw it on the ground once he realized she was dead. He then tucked her shirt back into her pants, stumbled back off into the night. When he was telling this story to investigators, he made it a point that he, if he was going to get charged for murder, sure shit wasn't going to get charged for rape. Now that the case had gained notoriety again with this new confession of this murderer from Oregon, it made. Well, no,
1: he he was originally it, from the area. Yes, he was from Lexington. He just made his way to he made his way back.
0: Yeah, just this vagrant drunk saying he uh, confessed to the murder. Mm-hmm. It made front page news. It was all over the newspapers, and now the case was set for trial. Arnold would be defended by Amos Eblen and a new attorney working under Amos, Robert Lawson. Lawson, who was young, he was 27 at the time of the case, and felt that he would have a better connection to the 33-year-old suspect because Amos was 60 at the time. Arnold would reveal more information to Lawson because he felt more comfortable with him than the geriatric lawyer. During the trial, he claimed to be innocent. Completely different. Yep. And his court testimony was confusing to the jury. He insisted...
1: I, I didn't kill her. Was, I, I'm not sure, but I'm not sure of that.
0: Again, you have to remember that this was the mind of a drunk. And he, pre-claims, wasn't in the right mind at the time of the murder. And the prosecution even had some troubles with the case because the information that Arnold was giving in court was the same information that had been shared in newspapers since the time of the murder.
1: There we go. Boom goes the dynamite.
0: Boom. So it was this as if his drunk brain was connecting dots with the news articles, making him believe he was actually the killer.
1: And the whole the waitress thing of the other woman was in his brain. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So the whole rumor that there was another woman in the car just kind of like he made his own version of the story. Yeah, he's just
0: piecing stuff together and thinking, oh, I was there, I remember this, this is, but he's just pulling this information from the articles. But at the trial, Arnold claimed he was at his aunt's house at the time of the murder, although he had said in his confession that he was wandering around the Transylvania campus after his bender. And as the lawyer Lawson would put it,
1: it all boiled down to, do you believe
0: him? Now, with Arnold's credibility already in question, it started to make jurors wonder if he was giving this information from his own actions time of the murder or from the words written in the papers. There was another piece of the evidence that was gathered that garnered some attention. His mention of Betty messing around with another woman. This was the 60s, after all, and being gay was frowned upon. And many people believe that Arnold had only mentioned that Betty was with another woman in order to damage her name. Dang. Now, this was quickly rebuffed by Betty's parents, who stated that Betty had many boyfriends throughout high school and college. So, like, there's no way she was gay.
2: Now. Definitely not.
0: Is that a good defense? <clears throat> No, now that yeah. we know about bisexuality, but back then, sure. Lawson didn't believe these claims for one second.
1: Now, it didn't make any sense for two women to be making love in front of old Morrison a place that was out in the open when homosexuality was looked so down upon. Nice.
0: <laughs> in the end, the jury dismissed most of the claims of homosexuality pretty much all of them they just kind of said this guy's crazy and would end in a hung jury he was acquitted hmm. seven hmm. voted for acquittal five for conviction damn now arnold would continue to claim his innocence following the trial until his death in 1980 <laughs>
2: One, I just have to say, why in the hell would you trust the lawyer who's 33 years old over the geriatric one who's obviously been practicing law a lot fucking longer than the other one? He would probably know a lot more to help you.
0: It's young mind to young mind.
2: Well, um, nope. This young mind would trust the geriatric one.
0: Because he was 27. And and, a dumbass. And Arnold was 33. So it's... Do you feel more comfortable talking to someone your age or talking to someone that's older than you?
1: I think I
2: feel more comfortable having someone who's older than me and has been there and lived on this earth longer than me and has defended more cases than I have been in, like defending me in a jury and judge trial and yeah, but are supporting you a,
1: me. Are you like a 30 something or how old is uh, Arnold? 33. 33. Do you think of a 33 year old drunk's brain? What is he trying to do? He's trying to party.
2: A 33 year old drunk's brain is not thinking about the age of any attorney. They are just not wanting to go to jail because they know that they cannot get beer there or liquor.
0: <clears throat> okay, think about it in today's terms. That's
2: what I'm thinking about. It. <laughs>
0: okay. So if you have a youngin', right, these young kids are like, oh dude, that's so freaking narnar. <laughs> whatever they say, whatever. Lit. it's lit, like, man Bro, it's yeah. so lit, dude. I'm just Would you speaking... want to try and talk that lingo to a guy that's 60 and be like, dude, you're just telling you're harshing my narnar, dude. You don't understand. <laughs> or talking to someone that's closer to your age and understands, kind of, it's like not what about you're understanding.
2: The end result is the same for both parties. The attorney and the client want. Uh, not guilty verdict that's the end period end of story no matter whose age is what that's the ending that they both want who gives a shit how each one of them talks who gives a shit what each one of them thinks the attorney is hired to represent the client who is a drunk dumbass and the drunk dumbass needs to choose the attorney with more experience whether he speaks his language or not in at the end of the day they both want the same thing mr homeboy that's 27 has not had enough practice yet to defend a lifelong drunk They're on the same team. He's just working.
0: He's working underneath him. He's like a a young, upcoming lawyer for or attorney for this. uh, I don't know what they call them. The attorneys are work under. They have like groups, right? Yeah, there's.
2: He's he's just becoming. He's probably new to the bar. He just passed his bar. He's just taking him under his wing. Yeah, so
0: Amos is like the head guy. He was like the head of Kentucky's like,
2: he's probably one of the head of the partners of his, ter- his firm. Yeah.
0: But they still work for the same team. It just, uh, he's he
2: like was able,
0: underling. he was able to get more information from him because they were able to talk more one-to-one than this young 33 year old. We'll say young, um, Do talking better. to it, talking to a 60 year old. it, it it, there's just a disconnect when it comes to like actually having a a one to one actual conversation versus a one to one lawyer conversation. Talking to someone like they're a human being versus talking to someone like you are my client. Fucking don't say this shit. Keep your <laughs> mouth shut. Versus I get what like, you're hey, saying. Hey man, like I see where you're coming from. Like, what happened, dude? Tell me what happened. Like, I feel you, bro. I've been hey, there. Bro. I've done that. Hey, bro, I've been there. I've done that. I've seen this shit. Right? I get what you're saying, yeah. You just feel more comfortable telling him. So Lawson was just, he's like, hey, let me talk to him more. Let me get the information from him because he will feel more comfortable talking to me than talking to you. Gotcha. Yeah, that's what it is. It wasn't like choosing who you're looking. Because they're essentially the same law firm. It just Lawson was the one kind of taking over the interviews with him. Oh.
1: Here's my ride, boys.
0: <laughs> the
1: that was just Will coming in with the facts. <laughs>
0: facts coming in. You just need a car, like, <laughs> slamming door. <Yeah.
2: laughs> you Need a gavel.
1: Ooh. Yeah. Oh, I should have done a gavel.
2: You guys. But also, the you guys are that.
1: not. You're just talking about lawyers in general. But you forget. We're in Kentucky, We're boys.
2: Good boy. Yeah.
1: Now,
0: we can use this all the way to the end. Hell yeah. <laughs> hmm. Now, there'd be a couple names thrown around, but none of them came to fruition. Now, Adolf Laudenberg, wherever the hell he came from, he, uh, he strangulated four women to death in California in the 1970s, but his prints were eventually cleared in 2012. What? Nolan for this, for this yeah. murder? Yes. Okay. Yeah, they were looking at him, they're like, Hey, can we finger you for this
1: murder? Like <laughs> Nope. I like, t- can finger you until twenty ah, twelve. I gotta I gotta tell you boys, I would love if you fingered me, but you're just not right this
0: time. Yep. Nope. Now nah, you can finger me up until twenty twelve when my prints are clean, son. Yikes. Now Nolan Ray George was also a promising lead. Cause uh, he murdered eight women throughout Ohio, Michigan and Kentucky. This was in the 1980s, so they're trying to go back and say, hey, you were responsible for this murder in 61. Because his method was strangulation with articles of clothing, so it seemed to fit the bill. Yet the only difference was that George would sexually assault the victims, and there was no evidence to believe that Betty was sexually assaulted at the time of her death. So they ruled him out. Yeah. So now Betty Gale Brown's case still remains unsolved to this day.
2: But hold up. Hear me out. Hear me out. Maybe he got interrupted.
1: Yeah, I was thinking the same thing.
2: Maybe it really was Nolan Ray George or whoever the hell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she was the ninth woman that he could have been convicted for because that was the same method and he was interrupted.
1: That's that's exactly what I was thinking when you were t- when you're saying that. I was thinking that just because he didn't get to sexually assault her, he or maybe know, just, this is public street. I mean, just because it's early morning, these are college students. It could have been anyone walking by. Or maybe, maybe he was old, like, ew, uh, tampon." Alex.
2: He was ew, tampon, and then stopped after he strangled her.
0: Yeah,
1: well, they, may- they
0: never they oh. never questioned him for the murder. They just right. like, after the fact, they're like, mm-hmm, "Could this guy have?" done it because he was sentenced in 68 for first degree murder prior Mm -hmm. like they actually like said you're guilty of this it was a separate crime put on parole in the 90s and then sentenced to life in prison in 2011
1: well also um a lot of people a lot of times we haven't really covered serial killers in a second but a lot of times uh serial killers will give themselves what's called like permissions they'll build up to it so he might have started out you know not with the rape and all this other aggressive stuff but maybe the first time was in 61 with you know betty gale and the first time he did it he just strangled a woman and so then that was the first time he did it and then the next time maybe he did a little bit more until he got to the point where you know he started sexually assaulting women and then killing them you know so maybe a lot of times if serial killers go little by little, uh, not just full on right away. Almost like practice runs, as crude as that sounds, um, to get to the point where they are. And then they eventually get to the point where they don't give a shit. They stop being careful. And then that's when they get caught. So, um, But also, maybe Nolan Ray George uh, had long hair. And when Alex uh, walked by, he saw a dude with long hair in the car with uh, Betty Gale. Yeah. Maybe his maybe he's drunk ass was just like, that's a woman right there.
0: Hey, man, what the hell's going on here?
1: She was spending with a woman? Yeah. I don't know. I don't think this will ever be solved at 61 to <clears throat> 2021. That's There's just not enough evidence. No.
2: Yeah. Six,
1: 60 years on, too, a lot of people will be passed away by now. Mm-hmm.
2: Also, the murder of her was in 1961, mm-hmm. and his first murder was in 1980. He mm, may have been a little young. The,
0: they were saying through the 80s. Because um, I was just trying to dive look into at him, because it'll probably be a good future. Well, I think looks scary.
2: This is a 67-year-old Nolan Rake George in 2010. He was 67 in 2010. So do your math there.
1: You could have been... He's 67, so would have been born in the
2: 50s. Excuse no, 40s,
1: me, early 40s. It... What? When would he have been born?
2: I said, do your math.
1: No, you do it. I said 60 something.
2: Well, I'm trying to make sure this is the same person. And <laughs> just said, I just clicked on the one, but it says that he's done. He served manslaughter for 12 years, and then he was re-sentenced for another murder. So he was released from prison in 1982 after serving 12 years <clears throat> for another manslaughter. Yeah, so,
0: so. He, was, he was born in 42.
1: Okay, so that still leaves. He's 19. That's enough time to be adult enough to murder someone with a bra. hmm
0: He was yep. first charged with murder after the death of Francis Brown in March of 1969.
2: Yes, twenty-two-year-old Francis Brown. Yes, he only served twelve years for manslaughter for that.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Then they got him. They tagged him for
1: another one. But essentially, no one will or has or probably ever will be convicted for the murder of Betty Gale Brown. Nope. So it still remains a cold
2: case. Well, if Nolan's um. Nolan Ray George is available for interview. We'll set that shit up since he's probably in California and maybe we can talk to him.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I'll just visit him and there you go. Take your I'll notepad
2: with you. Prison let's let's get this stuff up.
1: <laughs> well, that's all we got this week. That's all we um, got. Emily, you want to hit him with the, uh, the socials?
2: Yeah. Um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, we have a link tree. Everything's at bloodthirstypod or at bloodthirstytimes. We have Gmail, bloodthirstypod at gmail.com. We also have response to Spotify and can leave reviews on Apple. And if you would do all of those things, that would be wonderful. We would appreciate it a lot.
1: Help us get our name out there a little bit more with every review. Um, and we are coming up on the year mark. Well, we're coming up on in four Shit. weeks will be one year that we've been doing this damn time flies so time does fly it's crazy Uh, but with that being said I think we are starting to look into possibly doing a Patreon pretty soon here maybe after the year mark or so we to um, start
0: seeing our beautiful faces as we record
1: oh yeah we're going to start maybe do some video oh, stuff oh yeah
2: forgot about cans
1: yeah so be on the lookout for that Um, and you know we'll see you next week with another episode I think it would be Emily's first episode
2: Ooh, exciting Ooh. Yay.
1: Oh my God. Looking forward to that. (laughs) So we'll see you next week, everybody. Bye, everybody.
0: Love you. Bye. Bye.